this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the season six premiere of Soundcheck. Wow, that's scary to say. We've been doing this for a long time, but I'm happy about it. And I've always been happy to be back for a new season here of Soundcheck. You don't know who I am. My name is Andrew Mullen. And I'm joined by my charismatic and warm, lovely co-host, Michael Livingston. There we go. Excellent. Perfect. And we're joined by our equally charismatic and lovely uh, podcast editor, who's just so happy to be here, I can tell. Um, what, what's your name? People don't know it. Ben Ackley. Never know what those intros are going to be like after a long time of not doing them. <laughs> But um, anyways, yes, uh, I, I'm happy to be back, like I said. Um, we have a lot of good episodes planned for this season. Some stuff we've teased for a while that hopefully we'll finally get done this semester because, spoiler, spoilers, this is my going to be my last season of Soundcheck. I know, the tears. Tears, small, tiny violin. Um, yeah, it's going to be my last episode of Soundcheck, mainly because I'm graduating and I'm leaving this place leaving CMU, Central Michigan University, for good. Um, mainly because they don't want me here anymore, I'm sure. They're ready to kick me out with their boots. So, And I will happily oblige with that. But um, and, uh, but more on that will come later in the semester. We have some episodes that I've wanted to do for a while planned, um, especially towards the end of the season. Uh, you can probably guess what one of them's going to be if you're a long-time listener of the show, and I'm sure I will hint at it throughout this season, but uh, enough with that, boys. Yes, Andrew, before we go any further, uh, a moment of silence for you. I'm not leaving yet. <laughs> this is, we have like 15 episodes to go. <laughs> and they are going to be some spectacular episodes, because like, like you said, man, we're going to this is the Andrew season. This is we're accomplishing all of the episodes that Andrew's been wanting to do for a long time that have been put on the back burner for, for other episodes. But we're yeah, just been, it's, or, we've been simmering. We've just been letting yeah. it simmer. It's a perfect opportunity to do them. Yeah. It's not at all what we've been doing, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call it as such. It sounds better that way. Yeah. But um, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how was right. your, before we get going, how was your break? How was your Christmas break? How have you been doing? I have been good. I'm happy to be back in Mount Pleasant, happy to be back at CM Life. I It was such a long break to where I didn't know like what I was supposed to be doing towards the end. I felt kind of like a FOMO that I wasn't working and I wasn't doing things, but I got to go to Texas. I got to go on a road trip. That was really fun. I got some time to relax and now I'm ready to get back on the grind, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... It was a lot of nothing. I had lots of days where I'd get to the end of them and I'd think, what did I do today? And the answer was usually not really anything at all. So it's taken a little while to get back into the swing of things, but it's really nice to be back. I'm in that exact same camp, Ben. So good, good, good to know I'm not alone. 
Um, and good to know that we're all ready for this episode, which uh, is kind of going to be kind of a, a not a two-part per se. It's kind of a split episode. We're doing kind of two things at one here today. Um, uh, we're going to start off kind of uh, going over 2020 a bit. It's a musical year. We'll give our favorite records uh, each from from that godforsaken awful pile and uh, I guess talk about what we're looking forward to in this next god awful pile of of time that we're expecting for the next roughly 365 days um and after that we will go into uh one of the ideas speaking of michael said there's a lot of ideas we want that i've been wanting to do for a while that we're kind of getting out of the way with this season and one of them is this one this episode we're gonna talk about weird music collaborations uh but we'll get some more on that when time comes but Michael, would you like to start off our discussion? What did you think of 2020 musically as far as what came out um, last year? And if I am going to put a blanket statement, the music that came out in 2020 for the most part was reflective of 2020 as a year, which all, as we all know was one of the shittiest we've had in a long time. And it wasn't that there wasn't shitty music being released. It's just that there wasn't much to begin with, at least in my eyes, because, you know, the music industry kind of got turned on its head by the coronavirus pandemic. Of course, uh, musicians weren't making, especially underground musicians, weren't making the money to go into the studio track and release records, uh, nonetheless tour. Um, it was a it was a pretty strange year for music. The Most of the releases, I think, um, obviously came out towards the front half of 2020 when we kind of still had this disillusion that we wouldn't be in this for very long. And then, you know, a year later, we're still suffering from this pandemic. So at least my pick came from the first half of the year. And I, I kind of worry for the sake of the music industry, if we're going to get more good records forthcoming, I know there's a long list of musicians that held off releasing projects until they could release them and tour them. So maybe 2021 is going to be like the best year of music we've had in a while. Maybe it's going to be 2022. I really don't know. All I know is that 2020 was pretty sparse. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? I'd say that's definitely the case. Um, I was, I was sitting, you know, we talked about doing this segment. I was sitting looking through my Spotify. I was like, what even came out this year? And I was definitely pleasantly surprised going back and remembering the albums that came out that I really liked. But it really has been at least the last three or four months of this year, I feel like it's been a really big dry spell. I've gotten some singles that have come out that I've liked, but in terms of albums, really nothing has come out. And I, my list of stuff to even winnow down to my top album of 2020 was way shorter than it would have been even last year. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I can't say I disagree. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say there was a lot of Void Star. I wasn't really paying attention to new releases. I, I mean, I discovered a lot of new music last year, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, which I'm very happy for. Um, but I wouldn't say a lot of it was necessarily new materials, just stuff I, that come out either very recently, maybe as recently as last year, 2020, or forever ago that I just had never bothered listening to or never heard of for one reason or another. But um, from what I was paying, 
I would always, you know, still check the release radar and my Spotify, see what's coming out. And I was, and I will say though, um, while I agree there was probably a dry spell kind of coming around the towards the end of the year, I, I will say I was still pleasantly surprised, especially at the start of this whole thing, uh, seeing how much music was coming out, uh, like considering the situation we're all in, you know, being on, on lockdown. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that was kind of like, you know, re reflective of what was happening, you know, with the coronavirus. And then shortly after, you know, we we did a whole um, episode about political songs due to the, you know, obviously uh, the civil unrest due to um, the killing of, you know, men like George Floyd, um, you know, through, through police violence. And I think a lot of that stuff kind of pushed artists to write stuff they weren't maybe planning on doing so. Um, like Jello Piafa released his first record in forever, like seven years, I want to say. Um, it would not say all of it was uh, free of cringe, is why I didn't choose that one per se, even though I think there was still some good stuff on there. Um, but I, I think it might have pushed artists to make new new music, considering the situation. Maybe they felt pressure to release music they weren't planning on because, uh, I mean, obviously music royalty checks aren't what they used to be for them, but that's probably going to be one of the new big sources of revenue considering they can't really tour at this point. So I don't know. Um, I, I was actually kind of surprised to see the artists were still kicking around the way they were um, in 2020. Um, but yeah, it was probably not what we're used to as far as quantity goes. I think we can kick off our list then. I think Ben's up first. What was your album of the year, Ben? Um, well, Surprise, surprise. I'm going to be predictable today, as I think we all are. Yeah. You know, you know, when Bob Dylan releases his first album of new material since of non covers since 2012, um, it's probably going to be my top album unless something goes horribly wrong. Suffice it to say, something did not go horribly wrong. Um, it, in the middle of the pandemic somewhere in the middle of when we were all locked down, he released uh Murder Most Foul, which was like 19 minutes long. It was his longest song ever, and it was too long, I think. But that is the last track on the album that ended up coming out, Rough and Rowdy Ways, which has one of the worst um, album covers Bob Dylan has ever had his name assigned to, at least since Knocked Out Loaded. Um, however, the music is not reflective of that. I think when people get old, they just don't really understand what a good design is anymore. But this is the in the in the best voice bob dylan has sounded since maybe even time out of mind um he has found a way to sort of reclaim his voice and write songs that fit how it sounds now so he's never he never really sounds like he's reaching or trying to get out of his especially now limited range he sounds very, he's writing a lot about himself and a lot about himself sort of as a mythical figure, which he's always kind of build himself that way. He's always uh, put himself forth as something like that. But he also, he reflects a lot on his heroes, one of them being one of the first country superstars ever, Jimmy Reed. Um, and that is what this song, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, is related to. This is probably one of the harder rocking numbers on here there's a lot of slower stuff and a lot of more orchestral almost sounding stuff but this one really rocks i like it a lot transparent one in a transparent dress suits you well i must confess i'll break open your grapes i'll suck out the juice i need 
time he's used his harmonica in like 10 years too so that's pretty important to us i would also just before we move on like to give honorable mentions to uh roped in by north americans that's really good like instrumental acoustic stuff um stockchild wonder by knox fortune that's kind of the alt pop in the vein of something like grape tooth i'd say um tim heidecker from tim and eric released his record fear of death uh that's pretty good, and some of the featured musicians are the creators of my runner-up album this year, Songs for the General Public by The Lemon Twigs. That's my 2020. Michael. All right. Um, yeah, I'm I, like Ben and like Andrew, we're all going pretty predictable this year. I, I, that's not to say that there wasn't some pretty great releases that I had my eyes on, particularly the, the, like The Strokes, Sufjan Stevens, I even listened to the new Deftones record, which I didn't think was that bad. Um, you know, I, I there were a lot of great releases that came across my radar that I paid attention to. But of course, the one I always came back to was Dog Legs' premiere album, uh, Melee. And, you know, I, I can't really say a lot that I haven't said about Dog Leg before, and I won't like, have you guys sit through that. But it's a Michigan kind of Ann Arbor-based uh, uh, just power trio. I think they have four people at this point, but they put together this record and it kind of flips the hardcore emo tinged alternative rock world on its head. Like it, it did surprisingly well on charts and in music publications like Pitchfork. It ranked really high in their top 50 albums of the year. And it just stuck with me immediately. I mean, this band is a masters of hooks and just catchy riffs and just making you want to move with their music. I really haven't heard music that makes me want to like throw my body around and like be in a mosh pit or something like that since I first heard like Metallica or something. It's really that good to me. And I can only expect good things from them in the future. And I know they've been completely damaged by this year as far as getting to tour this album and getting to debut it and getting it to show people around the US and the world what came together to put this album together. So if you have some extra funds that you can throw their way on, you know, say Bandcamp or their merch store or anything like that, I strongly recommend it. But the song that came out most prevalently for me was Head First. And you can hear this awesome guitar hook uh, that Ben's about to
Last time you'll heal your dog leg for a while, I promise. But go ahead, Andrew. Hey, you, hey, you know what? Like me with another certain LA-based punk rock band, Michael. I think you've, uh, I think you've, um, you, you've been pretty good at not bringing them up on the show all that much. And, and I have to say, uh, now that you've done that less, I've been able to look at dog leg a little more <laughs> objectively. And I have to say, I, I've really come to really see what you see in them. I really. I think they're a fantastic band. I, I saw them live once, and I think they were great. Um, I think they I think they have a lot to offer, and it's, it is a shame that they really did get to tour on, on this new record. Um, let's hope they'll be able to do that soon. Um, that's with all these artists, uh, ones that are alive, I should say. Wow, I just made that dark. Let, let, let's let's uh, let's bring this mood up a bit. What's my pick? Uh, surprise, surprise. Mine's also very predictable uh, for anyone who knows me. Um, again, I'm not the best at keeping up with new releases always. So I kind of just have to pick from what I heard. This isn't supposed to be like, I, well, I think it's the objectively the best record. It's just kind of the one that stood out to me the most personally. Well, the, one, the one that was my favorite. And uh, yeah, mine was Blue Hearts. The on Blue Hearts by Bob Mould. Uh, as we know, I'm a, kind of a stand for this guy at this point, this musician. Uh, of course, famously uh, frontman for the punk and alternative rock band from the 80s, Who's Could Do?, and uh, the alternative rock band for the 90s, Sugar, um, as well as a plethora of solo material. Uh, he's been in some like EDM rave product projects in the early to mid 2000s, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, and he's out with his fifth record, I want to say on merch. I don't know. I don't know if this is on merch records. I'm assuming it is. Yeah. Um, uh yeah this is really good because it got very political which uh he's done in the past i mean there are certain huge new tracks like um uh, divide and conquer that comes to mind um you know they did get very political which i always appreciated but it's not a, a thing he really jumps towards that much but considering what was everything that was happening this year i I imagine he felt very compelled to do so. So you can definitely hear that a lot on this record, including the lead single, American Crisis, which we'll have Ben play for in a second. Um, yeah, it's just classic Bob Mould. If you've listened to what he's had to offer over the past decade, uh, you can kind of know what you're getting here, although he does sound a little more visceral, a little more aggressive throughout this record. Not at every point, but definitely, more, definitely enough where you'll notice. And you honestly at times can't even tell this man's past 60 or at 60 or something like this man is old and ancient he should be writing like stuff like what bob like bob dylan used to write basically he should be writing old acoustic you know songs reflecting his past life but no he's just yelling you know that there's an american crisis and he's certainly not wrong on that um other albums that kind of stood out to me again like i mentioned earlier jelly biafra and the guantanamo school of medicine finally released a new record after what felt like forever it's been seven years uh released a horrible slew of terrible slideshow music videos to go along with it do not look at those some of these songs are cringe but if you really but there's still a lot of good stuff on there uh go check out the new record which is called uh the tea party revenge porn so there you go. Um, and then one more album, kind of honorable mention for me before we have a play a clip and move on. Uh, I, you know, I recommended this band on Soundcheck uh, last semester. Um, the band uh, S, spelled E-S. It's a very simple name. It's a little hard to look up, but just search for the band E-S and you'll find them. Um, the album is called Less of Everything. They have this weird synthy punk rock sound. Um, I 
uh my girlfriend showed me this one it it's just a blast it's a really interesting sound it's a blast to listen to um it's definitely one of the more standout things i heard this year so uh that's what i have to recommend ben do you don't mind playing a bit of the song american crisis I remember when we did our Bob Mould episode, Andrew, I kept telling you, like, damn, I wish, you know, Bob Mould could channel the aggression and anger that he had in, like, the Husker Du and Sugar days. But, you know, you got pretty close on this past record. So it's it's the best I've heard in a long time from him. Yeah. Good going, um, 60-year-old guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I would argue that his, his past products didn't need that aggression because they had, you know, emotional weight instead. But we don't. We don't need to get in this debate again, Michael. So we, anyone, if you want to go back, uh, watch or list, listen to our Bob Mold uh, episode. It's still one of my favorites. So, uh, But yeah, let's... Uh, I don't think there's anything else we need to talk about as far as 2020 goes. Um, you guys want to add anything before we move on? It was a shitty year. It was even shittier for people in the performance industry. Do what you can. I mean, we've said this before. Go out and buy some records. Uh, show some support online. Do whatever you can. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's let's uh, move on. Let's 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 take a hard pivot. Let's have a little more fun here. Uh, let's leave 2020 and uh, talk about weird music collaborations. Now, anyone who knows me knows I like weird stuff, particularly in music. I know Ben probably more so. Uh, just just perplexing ideas brought to the table. Uh, next, especially comes true with collaboration. Sometimes it's magic in the studio, and it's exactly what you would expect, like that Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett uh, project from a few years ago, where literally the whole joke was that they were that they were indistinguishable practically from each other in style. So they kept joking that they were each other. Uh, sometimes, yeah, you get you get stuff like what we're about to talk to. Collaborations that seemingly come out of nowhere that with artists with widely different sounds and uh, styles that you really wouldn't expect to be together. So I just kind of wanted to have fun, talk about the ones that kind of maybe worked surprisingly well or ones that just... I don't know. Just make fun of the ones that don't. Um, you know, it's, it's always nice to have fun. I always kind of enjoy uh, talking about this kind of stuff, exploring stuff kind of out out of the ordinary. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't really know what else to introduce about this. Uh, Michael, what, what, what can you tell us more um, about 
music collaborations and uh, what we're doing with this episode. I don't yeah, know. It's pretty much everything you just said. I mean, at the end of the day, this podcast is a weird music collaboration. Like all three of us guys, <laughs> very different music taste. So it'd be fun to kick off something and just to figure out some other groups that may have had some weird chemistry that came out with something really great or something really awful. <laughs> I think Ben is first on our list, Ben, if you just want to launch into it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of, we might, I, I, well, depending, we're, we're getting one of the worst things out of the way right here at the top. Um, so my, my recommendation was from the artist I stand the most, Bob Dylan. And it's not often that he does things that even I can't really find a single way to understand. But in 1985, Bob Dylan released Empire Burlesque, his 80s synth album. Um, if people go back to this at all, it's for the closing track, Dark Eyes, which is solo acoustic, but everything else is covered with synthesizers and goopy, sticky 80s production, and it is almost as embarrassing as this album cover. Um, so in the mid-80s, you're seeing Bob Dylan release albums like that. You're seeing him on things like We Are the World. Um, and you're seeing him on Curtis Blow's 1986 rap album, Kingdom Blow. Uh, contributing his own verse that is for some reason used twice on the almost nine minute track. Um, I wish I could tell you more about this, but I really don't know how much of a story there is here in Chronicles volume one, Bob Dylan talks about um, how he liked rap music a lot. He thought it was really informed by things like Woody Guthrie's talking blues. And there's, there's all sorts of talking music before that, that he could see sort of the roots of rap music and folk music. And he really admired it. Um, but let's just say it's something he should have left to the young kids. I've indulged in high knowledge to scan of encyclopedia, keeping constant research of our reports in news media. Kids starve in Ethiopia and we are getting greedier. The rich are getting richer and the needy's getting needier. So let's just say when music is born out of uh, desperation, it usually doesn't end up being very good. I, th I think that's the, one of the funniest tracks we have on Bob Dylan. <laughs> like we're in a mirror universe where it's like the Beatles are, are now like a, like a hip hop group or anything like that. It's just, it's crazy what that launches me into. I, I really want to research that more because I just assume that Bob Dylan was like in the studio across the hall from Curtis Blow and just walked over there. And for some reason, a feature happened. And it's not like, I don't even think it's on the album anywhere. Like you don't know that it's Bob Dylan unless you hear it and know that it's Bob Dylan. Well, I'm so, glad yeah. that one stayed buried. 
Me too. Um, <laughs> I have one that's a little well, more. Uh, Michael, do you mind if I get my thoughts on it real quick? Yeah, yeah go ahead. So, yeah, you know, because it's interesting. It's it's weird because, like, when you after that second verse hits, I mean, Curtis Blow goes right into it. And, you know, it's odd hearing, like, an actual rapper come after that. It really highlights how terrible this and embarrassing <laughs> I, I I love Dylan too, Ben. Obviously not as much as you, but yeah, this is this is just sad. You're hearing this middle-aged dude with this notoriously nasally, at times slightly bumbly voice, and he's gonna try to rap that was doomed to fail from the start. He should have just done like a little spoken word thing at the start uh, <laughs> and just kept it there. But it's, it's a I, really. I, perplexing thing to have one of the most famously mushmouth performers of all time rapping at all especially acapella yeah. at the start of your song it's uh their choice for sure i mean the rest of the song is fine i, I like the instrumentals i think curtis blow is fun but yeah um don't like sometimes you, you have an idea and really you need to just scale up back a bit you, you, you just need to know when you're jump the shark and i the only other thing i want to i want to uh, propose to you i wonder if this is how bob dylan's grandson decided he wanted to start rapping it's because he heard his wee old granddad rapping on curtis blow's record that would be a very sad state of affairs if that's true <laughs> that's the inspiration <laughs> right. mine if that's cool yeah please I have one that's a little more accessible for people a little more <laughs> modern too the uh I have one that pairs Mac DeMarco with an experimental rock group called The Garden. Um, the Garden is pretty cool, and I started listening to them a couple like a year ago. They're, like I said, an experimental rock duo that also just happens to be twins. So they've been playing music uh, with each other for their entire lives. They're based out of California. They're on Epitaph Records. Um, my favorite record of theirs being Ha Ha, which came out in 2015. Um, the songs are fast, they're punk influence, um, and sometimes include some really neat sound bites in there inspired from like Japanese production artists. Um, the Shears brothers are good friends with Mac and they spent a whole day tracking this song in Mac's home studio in LA. Um, the best parts of the song, in my opinion, are Mac's verses, which kind of are hidden behind this like kind of jazzy video game soundtrack beeping um followed by a really seamless transition into like some really awesome like chugging guitars um some people are probably turned off by the traffic whistles going on in the in the verses i think they're cute um but yeah there's really not much more to describe this track with it's it's very neat it's very it's cool that mac is now put into like this kind of faster paced song especially after we got here comes the cowboy like i wanted to hear mac kind of just on something that's a higher tempo like anything and and this filled the void for me so ben you can play a little bit of it
do you guys think? This one I kind of pulled because I, I, I was having a lot of trouble finding some weirder music collaborations. This one, um, I remember when it came out, it was on my uh, release radar. Um, oh. And I remember, I, I knew like one song by The Garden. Um, so I remember listening to this and I listened to probably like the first minute, maybe, maybe less than that. And I was like, what Mac DeMarco's featured on this? Where is he? And then I just sort of moved on. So it's nice to sit down and hear the whole thing and kind of hear his verses and how the musical style kind of changes for when he's singing to sort of deal with his voice and how he sings now in modern times. Um, I thought, I don't know. I think it's pretty good. What do you think, Andrew? Um, I, I, I really like this a lot. I think he was actually a pretty good fit on this considering, you know, Max known for making a little more, um, sluggish, um, that just, off kilter kind of neo indie folk material and he's on kind of like this weird punk working with this weird punk band um you know anyone who goes by listen to mac DeMarco episode we did uh, a few seasons ago i i was kind of down on him in fact i was say some of those records we talked about i was a little too nice on to be honest but um i i, I still have respect for him musically i still think um he can bring a lot to the table i think he's really good on this uh, he kind of brought the vocals he has because I, I had to look i too really couldn't find him at first i had to look kind of look up the lyrics to see where they marked um you know where where he was on the song and he was i was surprised he was kind of doing vocals is very reminiscent of of his first record uh you know rock and roll nightclub was is that what it was yeah mm-hmm. yeah thank, thank you so yeah i thought that was actually a really um really interesting addition to the song having him kind of do those verses i think it works really well um i, I am very interested in hearing more from the garden now to be honest and uh you know, the, I was surprised Garden isn't like a super well-known band, at least pro- I would assume maybe not as much before Mac Macro uh, did stuff with them. So I really like it when bigger artists like Mac kind of works with smaller, smaller, you know, projects like the Garden and giving them kind of some exposure from it. So, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, there's one thing that this brings up that I kind of wanted to address this song. Um we have we're, so we're addressing we're talking about collaborations here, and there are really two kinds of collaborations that well there there are three. There are where disparate artists get together and form a band, sort of a supergroup kind of thing. There are collaborations like this where it's this is the garden and it's featuring Mac DeMarco, like it's sort of trumpeting Mac DeMarco is on this song, and then there are things like my two picks, which are like secret collaborations. Like you don't know the artist is there until you hear them and recognize that they're there. Do you think that, because to me, Mac DeMarco's influence on this song isn't really like, when do you think that those things should change? Like Curtis Blow doesn't say featuring Bob Dylan because Bob Dylan has like one atrocious verse on that song. Mm. But this garden song, I mean, how much do you think that an, a featured artist should affect the sound of a song to have a featured tag, or is that just something that artists always do now because it'll get more clicks? Unfortunately, Ben, I gotta say that like it's much more prevalent um, post like '95 to have artists featured and have the feature title in there, just because you know back in um, like '60s, '70s 
it was kind of like a the internet wasn't around and it was kind of like a hidden gem to find like George Harrison playing guitar on this specific song and you'd have to go back and kind of do your research and find out that that actually happened but yeah it it, it can be a clout thing kind of what you're getting at where it's like we're a young band and we kind of have this artist that is a little more well-known have contributing to our music. Um, as far as when the featured artist comes in and changes how that music sounds, I think it's totally appropriate for them to bring their own style and influences yeah. into that track. And I think you hear that on this specific song, like even in the verses, you hear the kind of wishy-washy Mac style synthesizers mm-hmm. kind of affecting the mood of the song, but it doesn't, crowd enough of it so you see, still hear the garden at their you know full power so yeah I, that's kind of my thoughts on it what about you andrew that's a good question yeah you know it, it so ben just is your question basically when should when should someone get credit for like in a collaboration yeah um you know, that's a good, I, I swear I've seen like credits on Spotify where they credit, like if there's like a famous producer, they'll even like put like their part of it or if they helped co- co-write it or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. Like, again, I, I mean, if it's just like kind of like a one-off thing, like, um, like, I don't know, like, yeah, by, like, you know, Bob Dylan doing like a verse, like on Curtis Blow, uh, you know, like that. That to me, I don't know if it really warrants like I mentioned with Bob Mold. Sorry, no, with, with with Bob Dylan. Sorry, I, too many we have too many Bobs on and then the playlist. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like I I think we'll we'll, we'll talk about like one at the end. The one we'll talk about at the end, which we're saving because it's special. Um, for more for more reasons to one, not all of them good. Uh, you know that that album that we'll talk about very much um, is a product of two artists coming together and kind of trying to work with each other's styles. That definitely calls for like a double bill, like collaboration. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess it depends on how much they do, like how much of the of the style changes depending on, the, on that artist there. I think it really just depends on how much they really contribute. If it's just like a line or reverse, like the next one, like the next pick you have, I don't think also would really warrant a mention of a like in, in Spotify, let's say that, you know, features this artist because he only has one verse right. in, in, in the Lou Reed song. He'll pick, sorry, spoiler, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that, that is a good question. I think it really just depends on w- in what capacity these artists were willing to uh, like contribute to the song. And I think I agree with Michael and that it's probably more common now to like say it, even if they only had like a line because, hey, if we can say they were on our song, we'll get us more traction on Spotify, especially with how the release radar works. Because yeah. like you said, you, you didn't know, you really didn't know the garden and the only reason you probably saw this in your release radar, Ben, is because Mac DeMarco's name was attached to it. You're a huge Mac DeMarco fan. Yeah, that's true. I think we can go to your first pick now, Andrew, if you want. Oh, we are right. My, 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 mine's next. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm surprised I brought the Sean Lennon-based uh, collaboration here. Uh, I know my, I, I inadvertently uh, made Michael not choose another Mac uh, Sean song and I do apologize for that Michael but I will let you have a, uh, a moment uh, in, in a few to kind of uh, d- uh, describe what you would have put there but uh, yeah this, this this is a very odd one though it's not one you would expect it's Sean 
uh, Ono Lennon, as it says in Spotify, uh, working with uh, thrash, new metal, Brazilian tribal bands. I don't know, like uh, they, they have a lot of influences. Soulfly. Uh, which I don't know if either one, either of you two knew Soulfly before I dropped this one in there. Um, if you don't know, uh, Soulfly is fronted by uh, legendary metal vocalist Max Cavalera. I, I, I want to say that's how you pronounce his name. I've never really known, but uh, he's more, I think he's probably more known for fronting uh, the band he was in before this, Sepultura, which is kind of a Brazilian uh, thrash metal band from like the late 80s to the mid 90s and they released a ton of classic metal records you've never listened to Sepultura I highly recommend that you do so um, after that band after he kind of fizzled out um, he left the band and a few years later he kind of formed Soulfly uh, and honestly go I prefer the later stuff because it's less new metal but they always were kind of different because Max is actually a good vocalist unlike a lot of other uh, front men in 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 a uh, new metal <laughs> Fred Durst. Um, uh, so he was actually it, it it wasn't completely cringe. And they, again, they had a lot of this Brazilian travel music since they are from Brazil. So it it, it all was a, a, a nice fit. Um, and on the second record, they actually had a lot of different guests uh, on there. The album Primitive. I think Corey Taylor was on there. I want to say. Uh, I want to say Tom Mariah from Slayer guest vocal down here. I either did a part or something, but uh, probably the weirdest one on that whole record was Sean Lennon. Um, I think they had met at like some music festival before. Uh, they they kind of like uh, struck up a conversation. They got along, and I think it was I want to say it was Sean Sean Lennon's wife that like hey convinced hey um, or Max maybe it was Max's wife. Is that, I want to say that was the case. Uh, they said, hey, you two should do a song together. And what, what came up was the song, Sun Song, spelled S-O-N, um, which makes sense because this is kind of, it's just the reason, main reason why I wanted to talk about this um, is because the whole, lyrically, the song is kind of about uh, Sean Lennon and Bax Caballera singing about losing their fathers at young ages, uh, something they both have experienced in. Obviously, we know Sean's, he lost John's father, John Lennon, of famous and unfortunate assassination in 1980. And uh, I believe Max lost his father at age nine. So it's kind of the lyrics here kind of reflect their dealings with, you know, trying to deal with the, in coping with, you know, those losses, those feelings, um, you know, there's songs about, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sean sings, but every moment is precious and everyone will turn to dust, which is, follow which is followed by the first line in Max's verse, dust myself up and I scream at the side. It seems it's been so hard, but I can't let it die. You know, obviously, considering their musical uh, differences, it kind of makes sense why Max might sound a little more downtrodden. Um, it's an okay collaboration. I don't know if Sean's vocals really works on here. Um, I'll let Ben play it, and then I'll let Michael and One, Ben be the judge two, of that.
dig that track a lot, Andrew. I actually, I think I heard it before you brought it to the table, just because like Andrew said, I peruse Sean Lennon's discography a lot and Julian Lennon for that matter. But uh, I, I do like the contrasting vocals of like Sean giving his like kind of psych rock persona, which he usually takes on. And then you have uh, <laughs> the just like abrasive metal vocals coming right after that. I love the lyrical content. I love how there's an actual message to this song that kind of the audience members can also pick from because everyone knows the story of John's assassination, but we don't often realize the other boys and and girls that have lost their fathers at young ages. And I think it really comes together to make a pretty unique and cool collaboration. Um, I will have to shout out Sean Lennon's other collaboration with Primus bassist uh, Les Claypool called the Claypool Lennon Delirium. That is by far my favorite Sean Lennon collaboration. He's, he's a really, truly collaborative artist, but that mixture of psych rock with Les Claypool's awesome bass playing in there is just like unforgettable. So I will also recommend you go check that out. Uh, I, the only reason I didn't bring it here is because I wanted to hear Andrew's thoughts on Sean Lennon being featured kind of in other people's music. So I'm glad you liked it. And I'm glad I got to hear it again. Yeah. Um, I'm going to dissent from, from the, uh, the opinions here. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just think it's maybe weird to a detriment. It's like, it's the, the most, honestly, when you get into the song, I think it works okay. Um, and I like that they double tracked this vocal because he would have been way too weak if they didn't. Um, but what doesn't work for me is his infantile count off at the start of the song where he's like, one, two, three, four. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Why is this here? Right. And then it just immediately goes pretty hard. So that was a confusing choice to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like everyone's... It, it's it's strange because it's a weird mishmash of things and it kind of seems like everyone's having fun, but then the topic is really, really serious too. So I I just had a little bit of dissonance, I think, when it came to that, like especially with the count off and then just thinking about like how serious this message is for these guys. It's It's a confusing collaboration, I will call it that. And I don't think it's horrible. Definitely not compared to our later pick that we're going to talk about later. Yeah. All in all, Andrew, though, glad you brought it here because at least it got a good laugh out of it. Agreed. <laughs> uh, I think you're next again, Ben. Right. So, um, spoiler come true. We're talking about Lou Reed now. Um, this is, I think it's a pretty interesting collaboration and it's actually referenced again in Lou Reed's discography. But I wanted to bring this in because uh, let's just say Lou Reed is probably going to be uh, getting a lot of laughs out of us in a little bit here. And I wanted uh, to show something of his that was actually excellent. Uh, so this is from his, when, when did this come out? This is from his yeah seven, 1978 album Street Hassle, which is one of my favorite album covers ever. It's really cool lens flare flashing off of his sunglasses and he's shirtless wearing a leather jacket um but this is the titular track from that album it's 11 minutes long it's broken into three suites 
And the part that you're going to hear is the beginning of the third and final part. Um, I'm not going to tell you who the feature is here. You should, though, if you're a fan of four-hour-long concerts, be able to figure out what sort of boss singer is featured on this track. Believe me, that's just a lie. That's why she tells her friends. It's a real song, a real song that she won't even admit to herself. It's beating her heart. It's a song lots of people know. It's a painful song. It'll always say the truth. It'll last full of sad songs. A painful wish. A wish it won't make it so dear. With a pretty kiss or a pretty face can't have its way. Don't trans like us. We were born to pay. Love has gone away. And there's no one here now. And there's nothing left to say. But oh, how I miss him, baby. Oh, baby. Come on, slip away. Come on, baby. Why don't you slip away? Love has gone away. Took the rings off my fingers, and there's nothing left to say. But oh, how. So an admittedly short collaboration, especially in the scope of such a long song, but I assume you guessed it, that was the voice of Bruce Springsteen giving a monologue introing the third part of that Lou Reed song. Um, honestly, again, don't know how it happened. I do know, though, that on um, Lou Reed's uh, live album that came out the year later, which I'm looking up the name of now, wow, this is... Yeah, Take No Prisoners Live, which actually came out the same year. There's a really, really long version of Walk on the Wild Side, 17 minutes. Um, And somewhere in the middle of that, he says hi to Bruce Springsteen, who's in the audience there. So they clearly had some sort of connection. And I think Lou probably pulled him out for this cinematic monologue here because Bruce Springsteen has one of the most recognizable voices, even speaking voices in rock music. And he has a very cinematic sort of way of delivering these things of love and loss. There are lots of people that don't like Bruce Springsteen. I feel like I'm talking to two who don't. Um, But if you want to give him a chance, his first album, uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, doesn't have any of the the big production or anything. It's just a really honest uh, early 70s rock record. But what do you guys think of this collaboration? Do you think it's interesting or not? Or are you glad that I brought Lou Reed here again. What, Michael? You know my opinions on Bruce Springsteen. I have never been a fan. I probably never will. But in this context, when he's just there for a short spoken word passage, and I can just kind of appreciate, you know, Lou Reed's uh, lyricism and instrumentation, I can I can get behind that. That's all I really want to say. It was it was a good song, even though it was a long long song. I'm not afraid of long songs traditionally, but. Um, Lou Reed has been a really challenging artist for me to get into. And whether that be for his collaborative efforts or just the way he writes songs, it's going to take a while for me to get into him. 
So, right, I, I guarantee you my opinion is going to change if you ask me like a year from now. But right now, um, it's not something I'd come back to, but I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, unlike Michael, I actually am a, a fan of Bruce Springsteen, not a major one. Um, but I, I, I do love me some some of the boss, especially his um, 1982 record, Nebraska, which actually was a precursor to Born in the USA. Very starkly different records. You would be surprised how different those those albums sound. Might be one that Michael might actually be able to get into. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Nebraska record, Michael, but um, no, I do love Bruce Springsteen, uh, mainly because he's probably one of the best storytellers in music. And, you know, it, it, uh, like you said, Ben, it does make sense that the guy who does four hour long concerts and just as a way of bringing cinematic, uh, you know, appeals to his music um, wouldn't be uh, doing a part like this in a Lou Reed song, kind of furthering story, kind of giving a, you know, like some flair to what's a story driven song. Basically, I, I do like how the song is kind of broken up to three different parts. Just drone on for me for too long at times. But um, I, I, I do like his lyricism on this. Um, I agree with Michael. Literally has been a bit of a challenge for me to get into, uh, especially after listening to something we'll talk about later. Um, but no, I, 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 this is a neat little collaboration. The one thing I do have to ask, though, Ben, like, how come you consider this one to be a weird music collaboration? Because to me, like, well, yeah, you have the art rock dude and you have the guy who does, who just kind of like slightly mumbles his way through, you know, you know, classic Americana style stories. It is very rooted in a lot of singer songwriter, 70s rock, but with a lot of flair. I mean, not too far from each other, but still mm-hmm. pr- fairly different, I suppose. But like they're two of the biggest names um, in rock music during the 70s. I mean, I don't think they're worlds apart. So how come you consider this one to be a weird collaboration? It's definitely weird, most of all, in public perception. If you think about Bruce Springsteen and the way that people perceive him now and the way that people use his songs and the kind of people who use his songs, like Born in the USA and things like that, they're people who would be highly offended by Lou Reed and the lifestyle that he lived. You're looking essentially at Lou Reed, who still today is a really big gay icon, and Bruce Springsteen, who incorrectly is labeled as like a weird... He's sort of a hero of... It's kind of a hero of people who are far out on the left, and then Bruce Springsteen, if people are dumb enough that they don't actually pay any attention to his political views or what he actually sings about, a hero on the right. It's kind of like when people on the right love Neil Young and uh, keep on rocking in the free world and they don't listen to the verses. So it's, it's a strange collaboration, mostly in public perception of these two people who seem very far apart when maybe in reality they aren't. I agree. All right, Michael, I want to hear your, I want to talk about this. This was crazy. (laughs) This is the, definitely the most abrasive track you're going to hear on the episode. And of course it comes from me, but we all have this similar relationship with Ty Seagal. We know him as the God of like modern garage music. He's a successful producer, multi-instrumentalist. He's a creative powerhouse and he's like a genius collaborator, but he's just, he does that so much. (laughs) 
that we cannot keep track of him. And like even trying to take a step into his discography is just like, it's so harrowing. Um, and you guys probably know even less about Brian Chippendale. Um, he's the drummer of a band called Lightning Bolt, a noise rock duo from Rhode Island. You may have heard, you may not have heard their music, but you may have seen their album artwork, which is supposed to kind of represent the chaos and colors that Lightning Bolt puts forward. I considered them kind of like a, a, a metal, a math metal plus noise. It's, it's really strange. Um, but Chippendale always makes music on his own too, going by the name Black Puss. And the two came together last year to make um, Wasted Shirt. That's the band name. And the album is called Fungus 2. They just sort of skipped over the one, I guess. And it got released on uh, Famous Class Records. The result is a half hour of just ear desecrating awesomeness, in my opinion. It combines Ty Siegel's like fuzzy kind of aesthetics, whether that be instrumentals or or vocals, um, with kind of Chippendale's sort of tormented singing and just chaotic drumming. Um, the whole album kind of pins those two things against each other. So in some phrases, you'll get just Chippendale's drumming coming through, and that's all. And then maybe you'll get some singing on top of that. And then in other parts, it's just this like wall of sound, fuzzy guitars, bass, vocals, whatever have you. And it's almost like the two kind of pin their aesthetics against each other on this album. And it sounds like war, but it also sounds like like harmony at the same time, in my opinion. And uh, you get a lot of screaming, you get a lot of like distorted vocals, you get a lot of uh, hard and heavy drumming. It's, it's abrasive, like I said, and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But um, when I saw this article come out saying like Ty Seagull is collaborating with Lightning Bolt drummer to make this album. I was like, okay, this is going to be something I'm going to be really interested in. So this song all is lost. You're going to see what I mean when it's kind of pinning the two against each other. And uh, I mean, I hope you guys like this just for this pristine bass tone you're going to get. So go ahead, Ben. tell this is my weird pick so what do you guys <laughs> well, um so this is something else actually that was recommended on my uh release radar when it came out um so both your picks were and i remember hearing this and i was just not ready i was like what is going on <laughs> but revisiting it when you bring it in this has a really fragmented nature to it these songs do 
Um, this one is a really good example where you're like getting parts coming in and out and they're sort of, they go together, but there's, it never really feels like the thing fully kicks it into gear through most of it, you know, not in a bad way. That's something that I'd really like to say is lots of times when you have a song that sounds really fragmented like that, it can sound really empty, which can not always be a good thing, but this never sounds empty. There's always something crazy happening. It just depends on what second you're listening to what crazy thing is happening. And I like it a lot. I, this is, I don't know, you know, without the Ty Seagal thing, I don't know if I'd like it as much, but I, I really don't know. It's really, really interesting. That's for sure. Andrew. Um, Michael, I actually do know about Brian Chippendale. I think I saw him at Disney world once. What? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, ha, ha, I'm funny. Uh, <laughs> That, that that's my violence of denial joke uh for for this season um so no uh no i actually really like this um i love me some ty siegel um i i but i feel like i rarely ever hear what he does because he just does a million things i'm like okay wow i missed all that cool how many albums are you at now dude like okay um yeah and but i i do appreciate him about that i mean i i, I like the fact he's kind of the i mean hopefully hopefully health-wise he's fine but like i like that he's like the busiest man in music because we do get a lot of crazy stuff including this um i think i've heard of lightning bolt before i've heard some of their songs and they, they are pretty insane i guess i i guess um in terms of sound it's not completely out there that like someone from lightning bolt would collaborate with ty siegel i guess what the result is though is pretty crazy and i, and I love it <laughs> it's it's this just seems like an excuse for these two to like just go balls to the wall just insane like it's just to go absolutely crazy the drumming in here is insane uh ty siegel is just doing his uh standard crazy guitars you know just really abrasive really loud and it's really awesome uh this this is a cool project glad you really brought it to my attention because i hadn't heard this before at all so thank you michael i appreciate it also a great album cover just like one punk hanging out with a bunch of cowboys it just <laughs> it's sick i feel like that's me here in mount pleasant <laughs> exactly. i'm just here in a just punk outfit just the middle of like just hanging uh, out cowboys how warm country and no, no 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 not not knocking down the residency or my plus i'm just saying yeah i feel i feel like that's what you i feel that's what a lot of college towns are like to be honest though so yeah okay andrew you have are you were about to talk about the the best thing i've heard in the past like two weeks okay so, so please please go ahead awesome i love it and this is actually the inspiration for this episode it's the main reason i want to do this episode so i could talk about this um everyone knows me i'm a punk guy uh that means i'm obviously a big fan of black flag and thus henry rollins and the rollins band and whatnot and anyone knows henry rollins he's done a lot of weird things throughout his career and he's gone a lot of directions that people don't expect especially ever since he left music he's written books he's got a lot of acting gigs and uh whether any of those have been good is up is up for debate i guess uh he's also been in, like, i think he had a world right he's a world traveler too he's a world traveler i think he had a role in like sons of anarchy or something the show that all your dads probably watch um so that's a shame because that's probably all they know about him for most of them at least but um probably most notably um his most notable venture outside of 
um, music is doing a spoken word tours, a spoken word shows, which I believe he's done since uh, mid eighties, I want to say. Um, and ever since really since the nineties, they've really grown attraction. There have been DVDs and filming. You can find all sorts of clips on YouTube now. And there's just so many great ones. Look up Eric, the pilot, look up his stories about meeting Ozzy Osbourne and uh, like trying in his rivalry quote unquote with Iggy pop, which wasn't really a rivalry, but uh, it, it's all very funny. And I highly recommend go listening back to them. But um, what one of the, th there is one bit from his, I want to say shock and awe DVD, which unfortunately is the full thing. It's not on YouTube, which is a shame. Um, I think it was toward the end where he talks about collaborating with one William Shatner. Yes. <laughs> William Shatner of Star Trek fame. Uh, he's had some, you could go on Spotify. He has quite a few albums, which is, <laughs> I feel William Shatner music is already weird enough, but when you throw in Henry Rollins and Adrian Ballou, the guitarist of King Crimson, like, yeah, I don't know what fever dream happened for this ha <laughs> where that came to be, but it's hilarious hearing Henry Rollins talk about this. Basically, I don't I forgot how he as far as the part where he talks about meeting like William Sh well, at the very least how this collaboration came about was kind of lost in the YouTube clips, so I don't know really. But I, I know somehow he got in touch with William Shatner and they wanted to do something with Rollins and Rollins being the smart, reasonable guy said, uh, yeah, why wouldn't I want to do a song with William Shatner? That's, that's, that sounds awesome. Um, so he comes in and William shares this idea. I have this idea. It's presence hilarious. I, I have this song called, I can't get behind that. It's basically this drum beat where I read about things that I can't get behind. And then, and then volunteers are like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Like let's, 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 let's do a take together. And they do a million takes where this just, I don't know who the drummer is on this track, but he's insane. He's just going just all over the, the skins and just, yeah, William Shatner and Henry Rollins take turn saying it's sometimes screaming things they simply just cannot get behind. Um, but after doing a bunch of takes, Rollins was like, okay, uh, no, it was, it was, William said, Henry, I hear a guitar. Do you hear the guitar, Henry? And it's like, no, I don't hear a guitar, but uh, really said he clearly wanted a guitar for this track. And uh, somehow someone in the studio managed to get a hold of Adrian Ballou of King Crimson fame. Uh, and he did a couple licks on the song. Um, and then after he was like listening to it, Henry Rollins and William Shatner got scallops or something. And I, I don't know. It's go, go look up what you can on YouTube. It's, it's, a, it's a fun. It's fun hearing Rollins talking about his collaboration, but what you get is one of the oddest, weirdest, and most amazing things you've ever heard. It, 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 the, the fact that this song works as well as it does is kind of scary, honestly. It, I'm just going to let Ben, I'll just let Ben play it and you'll all know what I'm talking about. Let's go. Ready? From the top. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. 
That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears, no tigers in 50 years. Rising poison in the air and water. I can't understand why the price of gas suddenly rises when oil goes up. But takes months to go down long after oil falls. I can't get behind any of that. I can't get behind the gods, who are more vengeful, angry, and dangerous if you don't believe in them. Why can't all these gods just get along? I mean, they're omnipotent and omnipresent. What's the problem? What's the problem? What about the men who say, do as I do? Believe in what I say for your own good, or I'll kill you! I can't get behind that! I can't get behind that! Everybody knows everything about all of us! That's too much knowledge! I can't, can't get, get behind that! that. Yeah. Using my streets to learn. <laughs> okay, let me dissect this for you, if I may, Andrew. Please. Okay. This has there's so many components to this song that I just love. I can just imagine William Shatner approaching Henry, going, and, and I'm a Star Trek person too, so I know how this guy speaks. Henry, why don't we make a song about complaining about things? And Henry's like visibly uncomfortable because he's just like a social outcast, and he's sitting there like. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds great. And then they go into the studio and record this, and it's essentially just two old guys complaining about things. And it's like behind this like chaotic drum beat and these these weird blaring guitars and like, oh my god, it's so good. And and it's like they're you get like the petty squabbles, and then you get them complaining about like you know real problems like global warming. You get them complaining about. <laughs> weird introspective shit like why can't gods just get along and then they go back into complaining about like student drivers and it's <laughs> so well coordinated it's so well scripted it's but it's also it feels so uh natural it feels like both it's it's natural to both their personalities i love it so so much the rest of the album sucks i will say it, oh i didn't listen to it but it, i'm glad i'm glad you did for this research yeah it's arranged by ben folds who is like if you don't know who that is he's just another like sad acoustic guitar oh guy. hold on he soundtracked over the hedge if you don't care. hey <laughs> do not trash ben folds his debut album came out on 9 11 and it is amazing not because of that but go on but i'm not allowing I'm that done. i'm done okay I, I will not i will not trash ben folds anymore i personally don't like him except his over the hedge soundtrack oh so sycophant <laughs> um i feel i feel i i relate to this song a lot because i feel like a grumpy old man most of my life it's um, fun i like it too to be honest but yeah so uh, it, it's really there's not that much i can say about it because if you hear that and you don't like it fuck off <laughs> i don't know like there's there's nothing wrong with that at all it's so perfectly crafted it's like a stand-up bit or something it's just it flows geniusly from one part to the other and then their voices come together oh my god it's it's really just it's comedy perfection it's really really great and their voices sound so good together too but sound different and mm, amazing pick amazing that is worth having this episode if if the rest of this is shit just be glad that you got that you yeah know? Uh, honestly i've always been afraid to look up what else william shatner has done like listen to it based on what michael told me my fears were 
valid. Um, I will say, I think I didn't listen to it, but it looks like they also collaborated again recently at Rollins and Shatner doing a mm-hmm. punk rock version of Jingle Bells. Well, something like that, which, Hey, you know what? If Christopher Lee can do a parody called Jingle Hell, why can't they do that? Oh, yeah. Um, and with that being said, let's move on to our last point of discussion. None of us really picked this one. We all just decided we should talk about this thing since this album turns 10 years later th- this year, gentlemen. Granted, it's in October, but... Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. birthday to freaking Lulu. Let's, let's, let's talk about this thing, whatever it is. Um... You don't know what Lulu is uh, for some reason. It is a collaboration between the aforementioned Lou Reed and a famed thrash metal band Metallica. Uh, it was released in 2011. Um, it's 88 minutes long. It's a double record. It's based on some German play about like a woman who becomes a prostitute and then is later murdered by Jack the Ripper, I think. Uh, this is notoriously one of the most befuddling and hated records ever. Um, I'm going to go on a limb here and say we all don't like this record. Um, I'm just going to take a guess, uh, and, and we can all get to specific reasons why in a second. Um, I, I'll I'll share my opinions later, but I, here's how I want to start the discussion. Because um, I, I do want to talk about the music here in a second. Because I feel like people just kind of like remember the memes from it. You know, everyone remembers, you know, I am the table uh, from The View, which we will play here shortly. Um, you know, everyone remembers just the weird oddfulness of this, the, just the backlash. The reason he's getting death threats from Metallica fans for this. It's everything's crazy. But I don't feel like people dissect the music enough. They, I feel like some people didn't really give it a fair shake. So that's kind of what I want to do here real quick. Um Ben, you're the Lou Reed guy. I kind of want to hear, come on, you give me your thoughts of Lou Reed in this record. I think he wrote most of the lyrics and he had most of the vocals on here. Michael, you're obviously probably more of a Metallica fan than a Lou Reed fan. So I kind of want you to hear your perspective on what Metallica was doing on here. Give, give both your expertise on these mm-hmm. artist roles with this monstrosity. I mean, it's very evenly divided in that sense. Um, I would definitely believe that Lou Reed wrote the stuff on here, not even because I don't, I don't, I think that Metallica and whoever writes the songs for them, or if they all write, I don't know. I think they're capable of, of writing like this. It's just such a Lou Reed topic, you know, like adapting a play from Germany, from whenever. Uh, I've been English play. I, I yeah, let's say, I don't the, it sounds so Frank Zappa, he did this thing a lot um, in the 60s and 70s where he would take a guitar solo from one song and rip it out of that song and put it over a completely different song and just kind of like see what happened. And sometimes the results were cool. This is like one of those experiments if they failed. Um, like Lou Reed, he's singing like normal and his voice was had gotten a lot worse by this time in terms of just singing <laughs> i don't think it's noticeably worse his the lyrics are fine his singing is fine it just it sounds completely out of place it, like it really does sound very delineated the lyrics and vocals are lou reed generally and the music is metallica and you just jammed in together it's like one of those youtube 
uh, mashups, but the mashup doesn't work. <laughs> Michael, what's what about the music? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go on the same route and say this record is is arguably really bad. But what the most curious part about this is now that we're at this 10-year intersection of it being out there, we're seeing people come to its defense, which is yeah. pretty stunning to see. I mean, you can point to Anthony Fantano's review when it initially came out of it not being bad. He gave it like a six or seven, like Andrew, Andrew told me before this. But I found a review on loudersound.com of a, it's literally called In Defense of Lulu. And he, and this author makes some pretty good points. He, he, go, he says, some of you want Metallica to sound like Master of Puppets again, but as obvious as it sounds, Master of Puppets already exists. You can literally go and put it on right now if you want. If it came out today, it would still sound incredible as those songs are bulletproof in any era. Um, and then he goes on to say, you can't bemoan a band for refusing to leave their comfort zone and then stamp your feet when they don't do what you're used to. Metallica, as per usual, were hiding or were, um, hiding to nothing. So I think what it's trying to say is like this album got unnecessary amounts of hate at the time because Metallica was coming, you know, out of their, you know, their golden period of releasing some historically amazing albums. So as time went on and we sort of digested that and now Metallica can be looked at critically, you know, people are coming back to this album as like Metallica proving that they can actually go out of their comfort zone, mm -hmm. which I think is something to behold in and of itself. Um, I'm always of artists completely changing how they do things and just th throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Did this one stick? No, but I commend Metallica for doing it. I really do. And at the end of the day, I think it's fun to go back and listen to this um, just to see how brave and ambitious, ambitious musicians, you know, James Hetfield and company really are. Um, it's going to be memed for many years to come. But once the memes start to die down, I think we'll start to appreciate it in a different light. Huh. Um, I mean, before I, sorry, um, uh, before you give your thoughts, Ben, do you want to... Um, kind of play let's play the view a bit which yeah. is the lead single for this record let's kind of people for some reason haven't heard this let's give them an idea of what we're talking about good idea i want to see your suicide i want to see you give it up give it up your your life of reason i want to see you on the floor
here's here's my thing. You say that Metallica and this author, whoever they are, says that Metallica took a chance. Did they? I mean, that music sounds like Metallica. It just sounds like Metallica with Lou Reed singing, which is, I guess, a chance, but it's not like Metallica's, it's not like Dance of the Clairvoyance by Pearl Jam. That is a chance. This is um, bizarre. If, if, I, if I can jump in on that one. Um, I, I think there was definitely some change Metallica. Most of the songs on here are pretty mid-tempo. Like, like most of the riffs you hear are, except for... Um, Mistress Red, that one really kind of go crazy. And sometimes at the end of the songs, they do speed up a bit. Like the view, like production-wise, it's probably the most Metallica sounding. So the more Metallica sounding guitars on here. But then you get something like the the intro, Brandenburg Gate. Um, you get stuff like you know um, Dragon and Junior Dad later on, where they incorporate more noisy and acoustic and synth and like you know orchestral style stuff in in, in those songs and. Obviously, Metallica has dabbled in some of that in the past, but I, I I think you can definitely hear Metallica changing their sound, changing their style a bit for Lou Reed. It's a little more art rocky than you would expect for a thrash band. It, here, here's 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 my here's here's my thoughts on this. Um, I don't I don't think the the idea of Lou Reed fronting a metal project is a bad one. I don't think it is. I think there's some potential there, especially with how dark we know how dark Lou Reed can get with his lyrics as they did on this record. Um, but I just don't think Metallica was the one to do that. I don't think this thrash band, you know, was really the thing. I think Fantano mentioned this in the review and I was thinking the same thing, honestly. He said, wow, how cool would this have been if we heard like, you know, Lou Reed doing this stuff over like an electric wizard album or something. And I'm like, right. that's what I was thinking. I think if he had done this over like with like a, a band that was less like rigid as like a thrash band per se, if he had done something with like a, a stoner metal or a doom metal band, maybe he did something with sleep or like the aforementioned electric wizard, that could have been really interesting. I think that could have worked better than what we got here. Cause I just think these two were, I, I respect Lou Reed a lot. I really do. But I, I just feel like because of Lou Reed's age on this, I mean, he's only two years away from dying on this one, unfortunately. And uh, his, his vocals are just not like he was never an amazing vocalist to begin with, but at least had charisma. He at least had like a way of delivering as a front man and trying to do these wavery old man vocals over what's essentially mid-tempo thrash riffs it really like it can feel metallica just trying to drag him along and he's just like there are parts like especially on the like uh songs like um pumping blood like towards the end you can tell he's starting to actually like arise and emote like he's like it is clearly a very dark and like a like emotional or tense high point what's supposed to be a story i think story is also a bit confusing to follow i mean i can see a general like narrative flowing here and it's not bad I don't, like some of these lyrics are pretty crap uh, honestly even coming from lou reed uh like the, the first line this record's terrible um I just, there's just some weird stuff on here but like there was this part where he's yelling oh jack yelling i say he was just kind of waving saying oh jack oh jack and it was like no emotion i think he's trying to raise his voice but he barely does so whatever point he was trying to get across just doesn't happen um you know, but sometimes you get some interesting, like 
the riffs on here are also really bland. The view, that one is fine. There's actually a really cool, like, pummeling one on Mistress Dread that really, I think, had potential, but it just it just didn't change the whole time. It's just this frantic riff that Lou Reed was, like, slowly, like, wobbling, warbling over. And it could have been good if they had changed it up a bit and kind of used that, that riff to tell a story, but they didn't. Uh, Frustration was easily the best song in this album for me, because musically, at least, because it had actually some dynamics with the instruments actually the riffs were actually pretty solid and they kind of changed up quite a bit but and the thing is though i think there are good ideas on here i think there are good moments on this record i think this could have worked in some ways again i just think they just i think a different band would have been better Mm -hmm. um you know i again i think the lyrics more in general actually not as bad as people remember i think it does tell an interesting story I think there are good moment, good ideas where they're trying to work with each other, like the beginning of Mistress Dread or on Frustration. Um, but there's part, even moments like Iced Honey, which just sounds like Blue Reed's actually trying to keep up with Talk and it fails horribly. Um, there's a lot I want to say about this, but I won't say it all because I don't want this to go on forever. What I will say is I, I do agree people to not give this album a fair shake. I think there are actually good moments of this. I don't think this is the worst thing Metallica's ever done. Sane Anger is honestly far worse. I have come to the conclusion after listening to Sane Anger is... It, it, it's, it's not like way worse, but it's notably worse. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting revisiting, revisiting this 10 years from now. Um, you know, and it's funny, there was actually an even more, I, I read that same article uh, you, you found, uh, Michael, but I found an even more recent one from Uprocks. Uh, and the guy wrote it very recently from like just a few months ago. And he said, and the, he titled his article, the definitive album of 2020 is Lou Reed and Metallica's Lulu, uh, saying, it, it, you know, he really wanted to listen to Lulu, so Lou Reed throughout this entire year. And we got to it. It was like, yeah, people kind of, jump to conclusions real quick didn't give it the fair shake it deserved and i think i think they're right i think there are good aspects of this and um it's a shame that it didn't work but i'm glad it exists because it i i like that artists can feel and granted they had nothing neither of these artists had anything to lose by this point so it wasn't as big of a dare as some people might think but i'm glad that they felt like they could do it because i want these weird kind of projects i want to see artists pull out things from each other that you wouldn't expect to. So um, hopefully artists will look at this like 10 years from now, once the heat has really died from it. And uh, hopefully they'll feel inspired to do, to maybe do some more oddball collaborations. Yeah. My final thoughts would be basically what you're getting at towards the end there, Andrew, where it's like, I don't want this out. This album doesn't have to be looked at as like a, a definitive piece of music. It doesn't have to be looked at as good, but it should, be a record for other musicians to kind of go out and collaborate with others that you may not expect. Um, like, you know, when we put Mac DeMarco with the garden or we put Bob Dylan with a rapper, like it's a hit or miss, but sometimes you get some really good stuff. And while Lou Reed at the time, um, his collaboration with Metallica wasn't well received, we're seeing this kind of shift to at least appreciate what it was. So to all the musicians out there that might be listening, take this album as an example to work with other artists because you never know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. And and if I can just wrap up, the most important thing to say about this 
And I think everything else we've talked about today is that boring is worse than bad. That's that's my main statement on Lulu is they were trying and they may have failed, but it's far more interesting to listen to this than to listen to it's it's better that they did this than them phoning in another uh for whom the bell tolls. It's much much better to evolve and to try something new than to do the same thing over and over and over again. Damn right. I think that wraps up our episode, boys. Do you agree, Andrew? I agree. I think I had a lot of fun talking about the stuff with you guys. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I want from this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, we didn't say at the start, but you can, uh, for you sign off from this episode to our great listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at, at SCheckOfficial. Um, I don't know. My, my Twitter handle is AndrewMullen4. If you, for whatever reason, want to follow me, uh, Michael. Yeah, you can follow me at Michael C. Live. I've been making a lot of uh, political posts as of relate. So if that interests you, go ahead. Um, yeah. And before we sign off, uh, next week's episode, tune in. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're getting back to the swing of things. We're going to go back to a good old discography run through, uh, which I always enjoy doing. Uh, an artist that um, I th- will bring, we'll bring a wonderful guest on to talk about the alternative rock icon, Fiona Apple. Uh, with that being said, anything else you guys want to add? That's it, my friend. No, nope. we say at the end of every episode. Good night, Good Detroit. Good night, Detroit. slide guitar is pretty sick honestly yeah it's fine i think they, they, they're fine for 70s butt rock they're fine i think so they have a song with alvin and the chipmunks <laughs>